Most of you are well aware of how difficult it is for me to move on from a series. Four and a half years in the book of Deuteronomy. Most recently, 14 weeks just on the Great Commission, followed by 18 weeks in five verses in Acts chapter 2, where we looked at the means of grace. I get so attached to these verses that compose the, the series that I, I can't let go of them. The more you study, the more you meditate on the verses, the deeper and the richer they become. So having said that, last week, after having already extended the Advent series, far beyond Advent, I committed to concluding the series. And moving on from those glorious verses in Colossians chapter 1, that speak of the glory of Christ himself, verses that show us who he's made us to be and now what it is that we are to do. So, my reluctance to leave has put before us this morning what might be called an epilogue to these verses in Colossians. And I know that you'll forgive me if perhaps the epilogue comprises two parts, or three, or four. I'm just trying to set expectations here. But in these verses before us this morning, Jesus puts in pictorial language, the, the, the picture language of a parable, the same truth that the Apostle Paul put before us in prose form. For the past six weeks, as we were in Colossians chapter 1, we heard each week this command. Continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And so the Apostle Paul, Paul piled up three words on top of each other that basically all mean this, the same thing. The first word, be stable. Provide a secure basis for your inner life and its resources. Feed your soul. Second word, be steadfast. Be firmly and solidly in place. The third word, do not shift. Don't move. Don't drift. Stay put. In John 15, Jesus simply says, abide. I'm the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me. It's all the same truth. Be stable. Be steadfast. Don't shift. Abide. You and I don't even need to live in the agrarian culture in which Jesus lived to understand this illustration that he's put before us about the vine and the branches. Apart from the vine through which the sap flows, the branches can have no life in them because they have no source of life. That illustration doesn't need to be and you don't need some exhaustive commentary from me about it. It's simple, and it's vivid, and it communicates our reality, which is that real life and real strength come only to us when we are closely connected to Christ. And whether you believe that or not, whether I believe it or not, it's our 
reality. We desperately need Christ's life and Christ's strength. And Jesus knows how desperately we have that need, so perhaps that's why he says, as you heard earlier, in 11 verses, he says 10 times, 10 times in 11 verses, abide, 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 remain, cling to, stick fast, be rooted in, never let go of me. That's what abide means. Why is our need so great? Why must we abide? Well, the context of this command to abide answers that question. Jesus gives this command on the last night of his life. He's sharing a meal, his last meal on earth with his disciples. And the words that Jesus spoke to them during that meal are recorded in chapters 13 and 14 and 15. But, but the words in chapter 14 were words of great comfort. There Jesus put before his disciples this beautiful image of their heavenly home, their father's house. It's full of many, many rooms, and one of those rooms is just for you. And I'm going away to prepare your room. And when your room is ready, I'm going to come and get you so that the two of us might be together. Are those comforting words? Those comforting words? The comfort continues when Jesus says, I will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth. I will never leave you as orphans. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Are those words of comfort? And then after these words of comfort, we come to the hinge between chapters 14 and 15. The hinge is in the last sentence of chapter 14, if you'll look there. Jesus says to the disciples, rise, let us go from here. Now, most commentators agree that the normal Greek usage of this phrase implies this. Come now, let us meet the advancing enemy. Rise, let us go from here means come now, let us meet the advancing enemy. Jesus uses the same word in Matthew 26. After he had finished praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, he came back to his disciples. And he said to them, See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So here's here's the flow that we have to notice. Having spoken words of comfort and encouragement, Jesus then calls the disciples to mission in the world. Let us meet the advancing enemy. The same enemy to whom Jesus also refers as the prince of this world. The prince, not the king, the prince of this world. Nevertheless, it's another vivid illustration of the influence that Satan exists in this world. In your life, 
in my life, in the lives of all that we know, on our culture, on its loves, on its legislations. It's a world in which rice bags empty too soon and there are no resources with which to replace them. The influence of our enemy is real. And so Jesus' words here, rise, let us go from here. These words, they are a call to arms. The disciples must go now and engage the enemy. They're not permitted by the Lord to sit in those words of comfort and security. So then we come to chapter 15. Where Jesus says, I am the true vine. So let's read the verses this way. Come now, let us meet the advancing enemy. I am the true vine. Christ is the vine. Christ is our source of life, our source of strength. As you and I go into the world to engage the enemy. Or, less dramatically stated... As you and I go just to live our everyday lives in this world. Every day is an engagement with the enemy. Life is a battle. Not for some of us, but for all of us. And even when people believe they have all they need, and even when they call those things in their lives good and dismiss my words this morning as preacher negativity or fear-mongering, the very things that so many call good are the very things that are simultaneously killing their souls. Life is a battle. And Christ, the vine, is our only source of life. He's our only source of strength as we go to engage the enemy. Now, we independent, self-sufficient types are apt to forget that. We want to forget that. We want to believe that we are not needy and we strive not to be so. And perhaps that's why Jesus has to say to us, as he said to his disciples ten times, abide in me. Another great 19th century preacher, author, missionary, this time to South Africa. Andrew Murray is his name. He too founded a mission that continues even to this day as Africa Evangelical Fellowship. A man who knows about mission in this world. A man who said that the chief end of the church is mission, he writes in his famous book entitled Abide in Christ, the joy of being in God's presence, quote, it is only into the thirst of an empty soul that the streams of living waters flow. Ever thirsting is the secret to never thirsting. The Christian often tries to forget his weakness, 
God wants us to remember it, to feel it deeply. The Christian wants to conquer his weakness and be freed from it. God wants us to rest and even rejoice in it. The Christian thinks his weaknesses are his greatest hindrance in life and service of God. God tells us that it is the secret of strength and success. It is our weakness, heartily accepted and continually realized, that gives our claim and access to the strength of him who has said, My strength is made perfect in weakness. Abide in me. The reality of our world is a difficult one. But we engage that reality, we navigate that reality by abiding in Christ. And grim as our reality often seems to be, He also gives us joy. Look in verse 11. Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Please imagine. Joy in mission, joy in engagement, peace, even when the rice is almost gone. Sometimes, I tell you, I am baffled, baffled by my own reluctance to abide. And I'm baffled by the reluctance I see in others to abide in Christ. And so I'm compelled now to remind you and to remind me of that in which we abide so that our reluctance melts away just as the ice melted off of our windshields this morning may it be gone so that we understand the glorious privilege to which we are called when Jesus says abide in me look in verse 9 Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. I am not sure that I can think of a more amazing verse in all of Scripture. As the Father has loved the Son in the same way. That the Father has loved the Son, so has Christ loved you and me. Can you believe it? Listen, we are treading on the absolute holiest ground when we try to comprehend the love that exists between these persons in the Trinity, between God the Father and God the Son. We can't even imagine that kind of love, the perfection of it, the intensity of the love between the Father and the Son. It's an eternal love. It's an unbreakable love, and Jesus loves us in the same way. Is that good news? He loves us with a love that you and I can't even comprehend. So therefore, we can't even fully appreciate the depth and the extent of it. And yet, even in our ignorance, he loves us anyway. 
And it is in that love that you and I are privileged to abide. Jesus says, abide in my love. Sometimes we act is if Jesus is calling us here to abide in the most unpleasant, sour, lemon-like place possible. Sometimes we act as if abiding is a chore. And so we've got to give ourselves a little pep talk. Come on, come on, you can do it. You can do it, you can abide. Or we give ourselves a guilt talk. Well, I guess I better go. Abide with Christ for a while. How little we understand the love of Christ. As I said last week and even earlier this morning, I'm amazed at all the details that the Lord brought together for our church family to receive this refugee family that we are blessed to serve. Details that only the Lord himself could arrange and then weave together so beautifully. I don't have time to tell all of those details, only this one. Last Sunday, the Lord brought as a visitor to our worship service, a high-ranking military officer. He came with his wife and his children. His responsibility until the end of, Jan end of December was to work with refugees from the same country. After the worship service, during the equip hour, he graciously agreed to share with us the condition in which he found these refugees when they came to him. And so through his tears, and they were many, a high-ranking military officer, through his tears he talked about the tremendous loss that these people have suffered. Many of us had already watched in horror and through our own tears the footage in August of people running in desperation to grab onto the airplane that was taking off from their country, the plane being their only hope for life. And you could see the desperation on their faces as the certainty of the death that awaited them if they were not able to escape propelled them to flee at any cost. I don't know the story of the family that we are hosting. I have not yet heard it. I hope to hear it soon. But this I can imagine. I can imagine some of the feelings that this family is experiencing even now inside the walls of a home where they safely dwell 
where they have life. And I'm absolutely convinced that no one would have to persuade them or cajole them to stay in that place of safety where their needs have been so generously provided. And I'm convinced that they don't feel burdened by having to abide in that place. Brothers and sisters and boys and girls, in this very week, in this very week, God has put before us a picture of the beauty of abiding in Christ. Listen, we have escaped death. We are like the images we saw desperately holding on to the plane, and it's Christ who has rescued us. It's Christ who has delivered us from certain death. It's Christ who has given us life and peace and joy and strength. Why should we ever not want to abide in Him? To abide in the love that caused Him to rescue us in the first place. He loves you. He loves me. Abide in Him. Abide in His love. Let's pray. Father, show us the extent of the love You have for us. Show us the extent of the love that You have for us, Lord Jesus, a love that compelled You to come to us and die for us. And Spirit of God, as you make that revelation to our hearts and our souls, may we long to abide in you, stay in you, remain in you, never leave you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.